Welcome to Convention Pulpit Teen Edition, brought to you through the ministry of Time of Discovery, a division of Interchurch Holiness Convention. Subscribe to this podcast or visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and for more information on this ministry at www.ihconvention.com. This sermon was preached in 2014 at Time of Discovery in Dayton, Ohio. Listen and be ready to answer as Brother Solomon Schaefer preaches and asks this question, Who are you? so much for that good song. I had planned to say thank you for that introduction, but I think we'll just, we'll forget about that. I'm going to kill him. So great to be here, and convention is always the highlight of, of my year. I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27, and as you're looking in your Bibles or your phones uh, for that, I want to multitask for a second, and I want you to, I want to do a little poll. Now, I'm not just doing this because I just want to have you stand or just because, you know, I need you, I want you to stretch before the four-hour sermon that's coming, but I, I want you to stand if... Okay? If you have come to IH Convention that you know of every year of your life, we'll give you one year off for a great emergency. You know, the time when your great great Aunt Agatha had an ingrown toenail and you had to hold her hand through surgery. Except for that year, I want you to stand. If you've been here every year of your life, you know of. Is there anybody like that? Wow. Let's give them a hand. Okay. You guys, you guys stay standing. Stay up. Stay up. Okay. Now, I want you to join them if you have been here most of your life. Okay? You bet you're 16 years old and you've been here, you know, nine years. Stand up. All right, give them a hand. Okay, you guys can sit down. Now, is there anybody that's brave enough to say this is my first year here? Anybody that will stand and say that? Anybody? Yeah, let's welcome them. Give it up. Wow. That's awesome. All right. All right. You guys can sit down. Now, I, I asked that for a reason. You see, growing up, I did not have the privilege of coming to IHC. My family did lots of church stuff. And, uh, but we just never came here. And my first year here was on a, on a bus from Penview. I remember the quartet was standing in the stairwell of the bus in front of that line that says, you know, do not stand in front of this line. We were all four there and uh, singing. And as we came into Dayton, scared to death, kind of like I am this morning. But that was my introduction to IHC, I believe in 2005. And at that moment, I fell in love. Now, it's not that kind of falling in love. If you want me to tell that story, Brother Matt's going to have me, have me come back te- for a 10-year series, if you want to hear that series. But I fell in love with IHC. I tell you the truth, I'd rather come here than get Christmas presents. Now, that might sound a little strange to you, but you haven't seen my Christmas presents. So, <laughs> no, really, it's, it's the highlight of my year. I have determined I will come here until I die. I may die on a Thursday night trying to get out of the parking garage. Um, I've considered a couple options this year, bungee jumping, or I'm trying to figure out how to rig a parachute to my minivan so I can just kind of, you see ya, and wouldn't have to pay the parking fee. So if I die doing that, come to my funeral. But I do, I love IHC, because it's more than just a convention. It's more than just a time to get together. It's more than a time for guys to check out girls and girls to look for guys. Really, seriously, I promise you, it is more than that. 
Time of discovery is more than a time just to be entertained. I think we've thought that sometimes. It's a serious youth service. And so this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to pose a question to you. I'm not some big fancy preacher. I'm from a little, a little church in Pennsylvania. I've got a little youth group. And, and so this morning, if you allow me, I just want to talk to you as I would talk to them. And I want to talk to you from the ones who stood and said, hey, I'm here for the first time, to the ones who say, you know what, I was practically born here. You know, I was delivered on Tuesday morning, and my mother wrapped me in swaddling clothes and laid me in a bleacher seat because there was no room for me in the nursery. You know, I'm that. I'm here. I live here. But all of you, individually, individually and as a group, I want to ask you a question. Now, I'm a little hesitant to ask the question because it's, it's three words. It's so simple. It's boring. And I'm afraid that if I ask it to you, that a bunch of you will tune me out because you're like, okay, I already know what he's going to say. Don't do that. Trust me. I don't even know what I'm going to say half the time. So let's just hang on for the ride. But here's my question. Who are you? Who are you? What is your identity? We're going to answer that question. Let's stand together and turn to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. Now, as we're looking in our scriptures here, we can go down to verse 30. It's where we're going to start. We know this story. This is the story where Isaac is getting old and he is going to bestow a blessing onto his son Esau. And he tells Esau, go get me some meat like I like. And Esau is ready for this. And he says, yes, father. And he goes out and he goes to get the meal. But hiding behind a curtain in that tent that day was Rebecca, and uh, she wanted Jacob to get the blessing. And she says, Jakey, come here. And he's, yes, mother dear. I'm almost done with the ironing. And... I, that didn't happen. I just made that up. But um, that's how I perceive it. And he comes in and she hatches a plan that is vile. We know the story. She's going to go and send him to Esau's room. And he's going to get some of Esau's smelly, foul-smelling sm foul clothes. You know, Esau doesn't strike me as the type who wears deodorant. Okay? And he says, get those clothes. And he does. And he gets some goats. And she kills them. And she knows what her husband likes to eat. And they wrap the skin around his arms and around his neck. And Jacob treacherously goes to his father and deceives him, misrepresents his brother. Let's, let's pick up the reading in verse 30. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Who, 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 who art, art thou? And uh, where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And, and I've eaten it all before thou camest and have blessed him and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even also my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtly and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? 
And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Lord, as we journey through the scripture today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to speak with anointed lips, be with the ears of the hearers. Oh God, may we receive and internalize and act on the truth that you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And ask these things. You may be seated. In this passage, we have the first case of identity theft in the Bible. How many of you know what identity theft is? Anybody? ID theft is a relatively new term. We find that it's on the rise worldwide, and most of you have probably not experienced that because, you know, you don't have a mortgage and a car payment, an electric bill, and all that good stuff, but your parents may have. And basically, the concept is that somebody accesses your numbers, your social security number, your credit card, your bank account, and they become you. They get ID printed in your name. They buy a lot of stuff in your name. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you go to buy a burger one day, and you find out that all your money's gone because somebody took a vacation to the Cayman Islands with your money. Hey, listen, if you've got enough money to go to the Cayman Islands. Talk to me. We could be friends. <laughs> Imagine with me, you're, you've worked at McDonald's six months and you've saved $40,000 to uh, go buy that new car. And some of you are going to buy a Camaro. Bless your hearts. And uh, some of you are going to buy a Mustang. That's better. And some of you are going to be really wise and you're going to buy a WRX STI. And uh, so you're going to go to the dealership that day and you're going to buy that new car. And you go to the bank and you're so excited and you say to the teller, you know, I'm here and I want to withdraw my money. I'm going to buy my dream car today. She looks at you and says, um, you don't have any money. Uh, maybe you're used to hearing that. Uh, but she's like, you don't have any money. And you say, yes, I do. I've saved. I've worked hard. And she says, no, I'm sorry, but our, from our records, you were in Argentina yesterday, and you bought a lot of stuff, but you don't have any money. Imagine that feeling. That's what happens when somebody steals your identity. They become you. And people that have had their identity stolen, they have to fight tooth and nail to get that identity back. They've got to go through lawyers and all kinds of things, and it's a horrible situation. Well, I'm not here to talk about that type of identity theft, but I want to draw your attention to Esau, who was absolutely a victim of identity theft. Imagine how Esau felt the moment he realized that Jacob... His little brother had assumed his identity and won Isaac's irreversible paternal blessing. I don't think that Jacob and Esau liked each other. Anybody agree with me? I, I think that's probably true. And it's not just the humiliation. I mean, we already get the idea from Scripture that Esau is this, yeah, I'm going to go kill it and drag it home and eat it kind of guy. And Esau is in the tent with mother dear. And, you know, you just get that concept. And that would be humiliating enough that if you're the big tough guy and mother dear steals your identity and dresses up like you and fools your father, that would be heartbreaking, right guys? Do something to the male ego. But it's more than that. It's way more than that. You see, Esau was the victim of what I call spiritual identity theft. And young people, I want to be serious with you today. The same thing is happening today. It's happening among your generation it's happening among my generation, you know, the kids, the, 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 the young people with the, the minivan and the three kids with all the french fries on the floor of the minivan. Trust me, you'll get there. Uh, it's great. It's happening to the people that are ahead of me and, and, and some of them, you know, or their kids are going to college and, and they have an empty nest. And it's even happening among senior citizens. As I look across our movement, I'm seeing a whole bunch of people who are having their identity stolen and they don't even know it. And the sad thing is, 
that they are helping in the process. Who's the identity thief? Well, it's Satan. The devil is the thief. You know, sometimes the scripture tells us that the devil comes as a roaring lion. He comes into your life and he just breathes down your neck and scares you to death. You're young. You've probably not experienced that on a grand scale. But maybe let me illustrate it this way. You're in a service and an altar call is giving, given. And you know that God has spoken to your heart. And, 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 and God wants you to come down to the altar and to pray and get things right. But it's like there's this invisible force just saying, no, don't do it. And almost holding you in place. That's Satan coming as a roaring lion. But the scripture tells us that he also comes as an angel of light. And I have to be honest with you guys, I think that he comes more as an angel of light than he does the roaring lion. Let's look at Eve. Eve is in the garden. Ladies, she is perfect. She doesn't have a nose that's too big or too small. She has no acne. Her hair is perfect. I mean, Eve is perfect. She has a perfect husband. Don't you want that? Amen? Well, guys, you're in good shape. They don't even want a perfect husband. (laughs) Wait till they're married. That'll change. I didn't say that. Eve has it perfect. She's got a gourmet buffet. She doesn't even have to cook. She just go to the tree. Wouldn't you like that? You don't have to cook. Just pull stuff off the trees and eat it. She has the best pets in the world. That's occurred to me recently. Adam and Eve had the best pets ever. And, and so she's got this perfect environment. And yet Satan comes to her, living in a beautiful relationship with God, living in a beautiful relationship with her husband, and with the environment. Everything was in perfect harmony. And Satan comes as an angel of light, and he convinces Eve that it could be better. He said, Eve, this is not who you're to be. I have a new and better way, a way where you can have more freedom, away from these rules and regulations. God has tried to keep something from you. And Eve believed it, and she bit the fruit, and she died. She had her identity stolen. So this morning I ask you the question again, who are you? What is your identity? You see, I'm not the only one that's wondering who you are. There's four other groups that I want to share with you really quickly who are wondering who you are. Here they are. Number one is you. You say, nah, I don't wonder who I am. Oh, yeah, you do. Deny it if you like, but there's times when the most confident among us are laying awake, not able to sleep, and you're wondering, how do I fit in this world who am I? And, and, you know, I've been raised in this holiness church, and we have these rules, and we believe these things, and these other people, the people I go to school with, they don't believe that, and you're trying to figure it all out. And, and, and by the way, that's okay. I remember, believe it or not, I, I'm getting old, but I do remember what it was like to be 17. And at 17, I had no idea what was going to happen in my life. I didn't know who I was going to marry. I mean, that, that thought alone can occupy 26 hours a day of your time when you're 17, right? You know, you want to know that, and I'm not making fun of that. That is an important, that is really an important thing to get right. You don't know what you're going to do. Brother Mitchell asked you yesterday, he asked you to raise your hands and said, you know, how many of you have a calling? And it was a good number of you. But a lot of you didn't raise your hand because you're not sure. And that's okay. So you are wondering who you are. Second group that's wondering who you are is the world. They want to know who we are. Do you know that Dayton wonders who we are? Yesterday, I was walking to lunch at Arby's and a guy was walking alongside us. And he said, are you going to Arby's? I said, yeah. He's like, oh, it's a terrible place. Don't go. And it turns out he worked there, and he didn't want to make any more sandwiches. <laughs> they ate it when we were there. Seriously. I found this out yesterday. But we're the church of God or something, he said. And he said, it's the only time the owner of the restaurant comes in and breathes down their necks. If they make one mistake, they get fired. So be nice to them, okay? And so the problem is we're too poor to go anywhere else. No other, but no, no other group that comes to the convention all goes to Arby's, but we do. Okay, just th- that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. Actually, it does. 
<laughs> you need to come to my youth class. There's a lot of that going on. It does because Dayton wonders who we are. Just a few uh, years ago at IHC on the Square, which, by the way, when you're talking to Brother Sankey, I didn't realize it wasn't going to be here. Um, I'm so disappointed. I love IHC on the Square. So talk to him because that's not going to happen, but hopefully next year we can get it back. But um, Brother Matt and I uh, and a friend of ours from Kansas, Joe David, were, were wanting to have lunch together, and we were at IHC on the Square. And off to the right of the stage there, there's a little courtyard-type thing where there's food trailers are. I never buy food from a trailer. So we walked past them, and there was this little Greek restaurant that had been having a grand opening for six months. Word to the wise. Those of you who are new to Dayton, don't go to any restaurant that's been having an opening for six months. Not good. So we walk in, and... We went to order, and obviously, you know, we want the guy to know who we are. We want to, you know, share Christ with him or whatever. And so I was like, yeah, we're, we just had a service out there in the square. You probably heard the music, and we're back at the convention center. He's, and his eyes lit up. I mean, his eyes just got big. His face, I mean, he recognized us. He knew exactly who we were. He knew. And he told me, he said, yeah, you're from that big Mormon convention that's in town. Guys, I just a little housekeeping item here. I know you think you're God's gift to women. You have to take 37 girls to Arby, Arby's, but stop it. They think we're polygamists, okay? It's a perfect illustration that the world, yeah, I hit, you got hit, didn't you? The world is wondering who you are. They look at you. Dayton wonders. Don't you love it? You know, you're at McDonald's, and like usually when you walk into a crowd, people are looking at you. But now if somebody else walks in, it's like, <gasps> little house on the prairie moved here. You know, it's just, <laughs> I get it. But they're, they're wondering who we are. The third group that's wondering who we are, and they want to know what our identity is, is other churches. Baptists and Presbyterians and Nazarenes and, and people that have left us and have gone a different way. And they're looking back, and they've changed their identities, and they're looking back at us, and they're trying to figure out who we are. And many times they think they know who we are, and they, they, they define us one way, but they want to know who we are. The fourth group that I want to tell you about that wants to know who we are are the saints. It's those old people that are out there right now. And let me just tell you something about those old people out in the main auditorium this morning. Those old people weren't always old. Whoa. I know you th that seems impossible, but they once were young. They've sold out to God. They've denied self. And a lot of them weren't always saints. You know the old lady in your church that stands up and goes, Woo! And she, whoa, sorry. And, and she grabs that little, that little hanky that looks like it's so yellow she's been blowing her nose in it since 1947. And she stands up and she waves that thing and she shouts and God's glory comes on. And you think she was always like that. And you have respect for her because she has the glory of God. You think she was always like that. But the truth is that she was once your age and she had to give up that young man that she wanted to marry. But God and her parents and others said no. She had to give that up. She had to die to self. She struggled with what it was okay. What was okay to wear and what was not okay and what was right for her. And finally she died out to self and she got victory and she's been living for God. And that story can be repeated time after time out in that auditorium because they had to figure out who they were and who God wanted them to be. So this morning I've asked the question, who are you? What's your identity? I want to tell you three things that I can think of. I don't know you. I know some of you, but I don't know you well. I don't know your specific identities and what God has for you. But there's three parts of our identity that God has for each one of us. And I want to remind you of them this morning. Number one, who are you? You are a creation of the preeminent Christ. 
I know, I know, we all created by God. You know, you've been, you, you sang that in chapel to children, right? I'm something special. You know, you sang up there and everybody's like, oh, they're so cute. And so you know it, but you've known it so long that you've forgot it. You've not really realized it. I want to repeat to you that you are a creation of Almighty God. That is the first part of your identity. And the reason I want to emphasize that this morning is because the world looks at you from their scientific perch and they say, well, uh, uh, you are just a random ticket in a uh, winning ticket in the molecular lottery. Congratulations, you're one of the, the fittest. And, and then you wonder why people feel stupid. You tell them they came from nothing. You look down your scientific lens and say, you are just a result of a blob, some primordial soup out there. That's why this message is important. The Bible says, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. Psalms 8, 4 to 6 says, what, man, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Go out into the country on a clear starlit night and gaze up into the heavens. Look at the moon as it glows bright overhead. Look through a telescope and see the wonders of our universe. Go into the forest and hear the animals running through the brush and, and the trout. Look at the trout swimming through a stream. And when I do that, I am struck by the awe that there is a God who lovingly and created, created that and formed that. But when you look at that, understand that God said all of those things were good. But he said that you were better. Why? Because you've been created in the image of God. That doesn't mean that we physically look like God. Some of you guys think that, but hate to, brace, hate to burst your bubble. There we go. But you don't. It means we have a soul. It means we have the ability to choose or reject God. It means ultimately that you were created for a better and higher purpose. You are a creation of God. Young people, you should never sit around and wonder, who am I? Am I important? Am I significant? Yes, you are, because God created you on purpose. You're a creation of the preeminent Christ, the Christ who is over all. Number two, you are to be a child of the preeminent Christ. I've heard people say, well, we're all God's children. No, no, we're not. All of us are God's creation, but we're not all his children. Now, you've been around church long enough, most of you. You know what it means to be a child of God. You know what it means to be redeemed. You've got to get saved. You've got to get sanctified. You know that, but there's a part that we often forget. Sometimes as young people, we teach you, we tend to let you think that if you get saved... And then you get sanctified. It's just like autopilot. Like, it's just so easy from there on out. And it is easier, and God does fill you, and God does help you There's no, and give you victory. There's no question. But you have to daily choose to obey God. Daily choose. Being obedient is an integral part of being a child of God. 1 John 2, 3-5 says this. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, truly is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. First John 5, 2 and 3 says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. If God is preeminent in my life, all other things must be in subjection to him. 
That's what it means to have an identity as a holiness young person. You're living a life that is 100% committed to God. You know, we have a relationship with God. We talk about that. But do you really understand what it means to be in a relationship with God? As I've grown older, I've realized that relationships, whether they be a marriage relationship or a relationship with an employer or a relationship with your parents, relationship with your siblings or friends, while those relationships are all unique and they're all different, they're also very much the same in that they have two things that are required, trust and respect. You cannot have any type of relationship with somebody if you do not trust them and you do not have some respect for them. Let me put it to you this way. Imagine that you're in a relationship. How many of you are in relationships with somebody? When I like, like, you know, dating, like, oh, kind of thing. Okay, a few of you. Imagine this with me. You spent 20 hours, young lady, you spent 20 hours shopping for that outfit because he was coming to IHC with you. I mean, you wanted your shoes to match his tie every day. And all the other girls would be like, man, she's so lucky, you know. Now, some of you did that. And it was great. I mean, you guys talked on the phone, you texted, and you're going to be together, and you know, us, you know, we're together forever and always, and oh, give me a bucket, but um, so you're going to do all this, right? And everything was going perfectly. I mean, he just couldn't wait to see you at IHC. You're going to eat together every day, sit together at every service. It was just going to be heaven on earth, right? Sound good? But you came and you walked through those big double doors and she was here and he noticed. And since then, I mean, I mean, they met and they were smiling and talking and they even shook hands. I mean, in your opinion, that was totally unnecessary. You know, don't need to shake hands. And it's weird. Everywhere you two have been, she's been. I mean, you know, you, 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 you know she's three rows ahead of you the first service where she's sitting, and then, then she's like one row behind you, and then she's right beside him. I mean, there's how many thousand seats in the convention center, and she picks one beside him. And so you stop him, and you ask him, and you say, uh, honey, sweetie pie, darling, whatever you call him. And you're like, uh, you know, you know I, got, I got the shoes, and you got the tie, right? You know, we're, we're still, still happening. Facebook, you know, status didn't change in a relationship. Everything's good? Oh, yeah. I just love you. You're the best. Oh, I just, it's no worries, sweetie. And so you, you feel a little bit better. But that afternoon, she's eating lunch with you, and he's talking to her and not you. And, and now it's Thursday. As a matter of fact, he's getting annoyed with you. And she's just with him all the time. And he can say all, all he wants, that he loves you and that he's committed to you. But he's acting and living an entirely different way. When you leave IHC, eventually they exchange phone numbers and a couple weeks later, psh, see ya, I'm with her. Now, if you've ever had that happen to you, that hurts, okay? We laugh about it, but the truth is that rejection hurts. And young people, God is a person. And we are not in a dating relationship with God, but we are in a loving relationship with God. And the scripture tells us that God is a jealous God. And when we... Say, I love you, God. You're everything to me. And we post nice little verses on Facebook and nice little quotes. And, oh, yeah, I'm a good Christian. And then we go out and dress like we're flirting with Satan. And then we go out and watch 
things full of debauchery. And then we go out and we use language that is not appropriate and we say things that are not appropriate and we hang out with the wrong crowd. God is looking on. We're called to be his children. And he's looking at us and he's saying, wait a minute. You say you identify with me. You give a nice little testimony and you say nice words on Facebook that, you know, I love God and he's everything. But the truth is that you're flirting with Satan. And God's not okay with that. You see, we can't maintain two identities at once. It's got to be singular. Who have we been created to be? We were created to be, we are a creation of the preeminent Christ. We are a child of the preeminent Christ. And one of the hallmarks of a good child is obedience. That Lord, whatever you want for my life, I'll do. Whatever you don't want in my life, I won't do. That has been what we've believed as a movement. That's what we're asking you to believe. And it's not because we just made these things up. It's because God asks us to believe these things. Who are, what's your identity? Creation of the preeminent Christ. The child of the preeminent Christ. And thirdly, and lastly, this morning, you created to be the church of the preeminent Christ. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because Brother Mitchell emphasized it so well in yesterday's service. A lot of young people are sitting around wondering, what's my identity? Who am I? Do I matter? And they're worried about what they're going to be in 20 years. Now, you need to think for the future. But you also need to do what God wants you to do right now. You say, I haven't been to Bible college. So what? You need to go. I believe that. But before you get there, do everything, do everything that God wants you to do. I can promise you this. If you are living as a creation and as a child of the preeminent Christ, and he is over your entire life, and you begin to work in his church, you begin to, as Brother Mitchell said, volunteer for the pastor, and you begin to say, hey, I'll do this, I'll help out with that, suddenly you won't be wondering about who you are and how you fit. Because when we begin to serve God, when we begin to fulfill his purpose for us, we don't have that longing and that wondering, who am I? Because we're being exactly who God calls us to be. Young people, I urge you to spend a whole, less lot, a whole less time, a whole lot less time, there we go, wondering who you are and a whole lot more time knowing who he is. Spend a lot less time wondering who am I and spend a lot more time knowing who he is. Young people, I ask you again, who are you? What's your identity? In Genesis chapter 27 and verse 34, we have these words. Remember how I told you Esau was this big, you know, kill it kind of guy? What do we see in Genesis 27, 34? He lifted up his voice and he wept. He cried. That big man, that tough guy, the woodsman, bawled like a baby. Why? Because his identity had been stolen. If you study this, there was no way he could reclaim that blessing, his identity. It was too late. And young people, one of these days, we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. And I think a lot of people think of it like this. They think that they're going to get before God and it's going to be kind of like American Idol or something. They're going to, you know, tell God what he wants to hear. They're going to give a good performance for God, and God's going to be like, you know what, I like you. Come on in. Thumbs up. Former mayor, 
New York City, Michael Bloomberg, said just two weeks ago that when he gets to heaven, he's not even going to stop for the interview because God's going to love the work that he's done on earth against guns and all kinds of things. He's going to love that work so much that he's just going to breeze right on in. He said, no problem, no question. And as I read his words, they struck me. I thought, Mr. Bloomberg, that's not how it's going to be. And then I got to thinking and God spoke clearly to me. This is how a lot of people think. I'm going to live my life creating my own identity. I'm going to look in the Bible and be like, you know what? My church taught this, but nah, it's not really in there. Nah. God certainly wouldn't care what we wear and, you know, about our hair and what we dress and jewelry and that stuff. That's crazy. God doesn't really care if we have a pure heart. God doesn't really care that we, you know, go to church and God doesn't really care. I mean, duh. Like, we'll figure it out. And, you know, if you decide that, God will let you do that. You can spend your life creating your own identity the way you think it is. Disagreeing with your parents, and they didn't, you know, we're gonna do it our way. And God will let you do that. But one day you're gonna stand before Him for the interview. And you're not gonna be telling them, look, God, you know, I, yeah, I, well, you know, I kind of skipped over that part of your word, but, but look, I was really good over here, and you give this real good narrative of how you've been this good person. But you know what God's gonna say? You know what God's gonna say? If you come with your own identity that you've created, God might just say those words I've been asking you. I've been saying, who are you? God might just say those words to you, but instead of who are you, the God of the universe who sent his son to die for you, who loves you, at that moment will say, who are you? Get out. You see, that's harsh. God would never say that. Well, when I look in the scripture, Jesus told us, he said, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Who are you? Depart from me, ye that work. Young people, we've talked about rejection. We've joked about relationships. But there is no greater rejection than having the God of the universe who bled and died in agony and was marred beyond what any man was ever marred. Look at you, the man who through the centuries who's had those kind eyes, those eyes that have spoke peace and love to have him look at you and say, who are you? Get out. That hurts. But young people, I want to offer you hope this morning. You don't have to create your own identity. You can come to God and say, Lord, I'm your creation. Lord, I want to be your child. I want to be a part of your church. And if you follow his will for your life, he has never led one person wrong not a single person in all of human history. If you take on his identity, that's what holiness is. If you take on his identity, he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant.
Enter into the joy of thy Lord. We're standing together this morning. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Brother Jonathan's going to sing a song of invitation in just a moment. Young people, I felt on my, hearts for mo- my heart for months, for months. I was scared to get death to speak to you today. But I had a message. I knew I did from God. And I feel like this morning in this crowd, I don't know you, I'm not trying to judge you, but I feel like there's some young people who are struggling with identity. And you're hearing from the world, and you're hearing, well, you don't need to do this, you need to do that, and all your friends. But tune them out for a minute because they're not going to judge you on judgment day. They're not. It's going to be the one who wants you to take on his identity. And this morning as Brother Jonathan sings, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder if there's anybody that will come out and come down to the altar and pour out their heart to God and say, Lord, I need to be more like you. Oh, to be like thee. That's it. Who come this morning? This is my constant longing. You say, but what will my girlfriend think? What will that guy think? That's an identity issue. That's an identity issue. If you're worried about what people think, you don't have God's identity. Imagine a direct line between here and heaven right now. And you're looking at the God of the universe and he's looking at you and saying, God, what's my identity? Does it match you? Are we together? Am I like you? And if it's no, come down and pray. Get his identity. Take his identity. Say, Lord, I want to be like thee. It's what I want to be. It's who I need to be. When you get to the judgment bar, he recognizes you. And he says, come on in. They're coming. There's lots of room. Come on, young people. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what happens after this service. We don't know what a day will bring. Let's take on his identity. Lord, save me. Lord, sanctify me. Give me your purpose. Whatever the need of your heart. Maybe you've been playing around with the world. You've been trying to go their way. Identify with them. It'll take you to hell. I promise you. No question. There's also no question that taking God's identity will take you to hell. Amen. Praise his name. Praise his name. Oh, God. Oh, God. Continue to move. He's going to keep singing. There's more room. feel like there's more folks who need to pray. This is it. This is the time. Oh, to be like this. Amen. Those of you who know the value of prayer, be praying now. For that friend of yours that you know isn't right. Pray for them that they'll have courage to step out. God wants us to be like him. He created us in his image. Adam and Eve broke that image. But God has spent all this time restoring us to his image. To his likeness. Amen. Oh God. That's it. Oh God. Listen to the words.
That's it. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Your ID. I'm with Jesus, and I live like it. I look like it. I love him. Brother Jonathan, let's have them sing it with us. Let's sing it again. Sing with him. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit Teen Edition, brought to you through the Ministry of Time of Discovery, a division of Interchurch Holiness Convention. For more sermons or for more information, subscribe to this monthly podcast or visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, 18931 Route 522, Beaver Springs, Pennsylvania, 17812.